I have, I'm going to just tell y'all, I don't know about the, the four, this will be the fourth week I've talked about um, worship, and I don't know if it's changed any of you, but it has changed me. I have, I, my thought processes have been different um, on some of the things that I do that when we talked last week about drawing that distinction between the sacred and the secular and that there is no distinction. There's no difference between how I should act at work, how I should act at the supermarket, and how I should act at 167, and how I should sit on these pews. There's no difference. And, and that's, a, that's kind of a crazy concept because we, we walk out that back door and we sort of, okay, we did church, and we closed that drawer, and over here's the other drawer. We open it up, there's work. So I act this way at work. At church, I wouldn't do that, but at work, I will. You know, at home, I wouldn't, I, I'll do that, but at church, I wouldn't. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that secular. And so today, last week was more preaching. Today's going to be more teaching. Um, so if you have, uh, if you take notes, today may be a good time to do that. Because what I want to give you is a framework for putting into action and putting into practice the stuff that we've talked about the last three weeks. Kind of like some nuts and bolts and just really practical stuff, way to think things through and ways to sort of like, come up with a game plan, I guess, is a way to put it. That's, that's what I want to talk about today. Um, it really hasn't been a series. It's just a series of connected uh, lessons on a similar topic. The goal of what this whole thing has been about is showing why worship is important and what a worshiper looks like. And then next time, after we, after we sort of discussed that, we looked at what a heart of worship looks like. And that was last week we talked about that. So today, I want to give some practical things on how to be a worshiper all day long. These are things that we can do to become all day long worshipers. It has been my prayer throughout these past few weeks that our worship of God, both as individuals and as a congregation, would turn into something that becomes the greatest experience in our lives. That we would learn and we would hear things that would turn us into true worshipers of God that we would move beyond just people who warm pews and that we would become worshipers. That's my goal in all this. Remember, everything that we do as Christians, we do on his terms. We do not worship on our own terms. We can't worship on our own terms. And if these last few weeks, like I said, has been as half as helpful to you as it has been to me, then I think this church is in for something special. Because I know my whole concept of worship has changed, my idea of what it is. Because I want to take it outside these doors. I want to take worship outside these doors. And it's going to take diligence. And that's kind of what we're, we're headed to today. It is going to take diligence because you can hear a good sermon. Not that I'm preaching a good sermon, but you can hear a good sermon and be changed for an hour. You can hear a good sermon and be changed for a day. You can hear a good sermon and be changed for a week. But if we don't apply the principles and the things that we've talked about, that good service that you were in, that good service experience, it will fade. All that stuff, that cool, you, you, that fire you felt and that, that warm fuzzies, those will fade. But it's the daily discipline, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Because our self-will will creep back in in a heartbeat. And my self-will wants to press the snooze button. My self-will wants to stay in bed. My self-will wants to do something other than pray, do something other than go to church, do something other than spend time in prayer. My self-will doesn't want to fast. My self-will doesn't like those things because the spirit and the, and the flesh are at war with each other. 
And so I've got to train myself to do those things. And I will find that it is easy to fall back into evaluating what is occurring in my life based on how I feel. Bad thing, bad thing. Instead of thinking about how God thinks about it and then responding with my heartfelt praise. I've also found that the ability to concentrate on true worship, when I get to that place where I'm concentrating on true worship, it becomes easier for me to live for God in all of my circumstances. So I get bad news. And normally, you know, the old me, bad news, oh gosh, got to do something about that, maybe drink. That was, that was a response I did for a long time. I got to drink over that. You know, but even, even not so drastic as that, sulk. Getting the, you know, getting the mully grubs, get angry and get mad, get mad at people, get mad at God, whatever. And I can't handle bad news. But when I am living a life of worship, the bad news is not, that's not the end. The bad news doesn't make me, oh, throw up my hands, I'm done. Instead, the bad news is, okay, God, what miracle are you going to be performing as a result of this situation? I know that you are going to be shown as glorious in this situation. I just can't wait to see how it's going to all turn out. It may not even be what I want. There may be piles more of bad stuff that happens, but God's going to be glorified at the end of it. He will be glorified. And that's what happens when we live lives that are worshiping. That's how we start to see things. And, and maybe you found this to be true. Maybe that's been your experience. But if it hasn't, then I want to tell you today, true worship is not just a Sunday and a Wednesday thing. It is not even your 15 minutes of devotion every morning. It's not even just listening to Caleb on, your way to radio, on, your, on the radio on your way to work. True worship is to be a part of daily life in all the various situations that occur, whether they're good or bad. And it is, oh yeah, it's much easier to worship, isn't it, when things are going great. Hallelujah, I got a raise. None of us are going to be sad that day. Oh, hallelujah, we, we're, this is happening. We, we just closed on the house. Hallelujah, we, we got all this or whatever. But when we get bad news, let's hallelujah then too. That's what we're talking about today. And a great place to start that is Job. <laughs> not what you want to hear. And I'm not wanting anybody to have a Job day today. But let's start with what Job said. Job said that when what he feared had come upon him, he responded this way. He tore his robe, he shaved his beard in grief, and then he fell to the ground and he worshipped. Listen to what he said in Job 1, 20 and 21. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My grandmother passed away in October. Wonderful woman of God. Many, many of you may have known her. She meant so much to me. She was just a... There was a time where I, 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 I thought I was really wanted to end everything. And I just went to her house and I just knelt at her, her feet and I got her to pray over me. And God lifted that, that oppression off of me. Just adore that woman. Just The day she died, my, my dad called me and he told me, he said, Mama's, Mama passed. And I, the first thing I said was, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I left, I was already at work and it was early that morning. And I left my office and I went by the prayer room at POA because that's where she'd spent most of her life. And I went there and I said it again. I said, Lord, she's lived a great life. 
and I'm going to miss her a lot, but you are glorious, and you will be glorified in this. And I, I just wanted to worship that morning. I just wanted to worship that morning because what a wonderful life that woman had lived. And Job did it too. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away, but I'm going to bless the name of the Lord. But see, that attitude, that cannot happen unless our heart is set on worship. And that worship has to become a characteristic of our life every day. So this morning, as we conclude the series, I want to give you these practical, um, practical suggestions. These are things that we can do to put discipline in our life, to implement all the stuff that we've been talking about the past three weeks. You're going to need to do five things. The first is set your goal. Number two is set your priorities. Set your spiritual diet. That's a hard one in our culture. Set your mind and then live free in Christ. Those are the five things. If we can do those five things, and I'm going to lay it out, I hope, in such a way that is so simple that you can leave here and game plan the whole thing. Yeah. You can, you can, this is what I'm going to start doing this week. So first of all, set the goal. If the worship of God is to be the focus of your life, and it should, then you have to make sure you've set it as your goal. This may sound so basic to everybody in this room, so basic. We've all been coming to church for years. We, we've loved God for years. We, Chris, this is silly that you're telling me this. It sounds basic, but it's also a reason, the failure to do this is a reason why a lot of people don't worship because yeah. we skip right over it. Yeah. It's so simple that we just jump on ahead. Yeah. The tendency is for people to separate between the secular and the sacred, what I talked about last week in our daily activities. And it's tragic because it reveals our hypocrisy. And I say our, <laughs> I'm not accusing y'all of anything I'm not accusing myself of, but it reveals our hypocrisy. And I say that because we are of two minds when we do it. When we separate it all, we are of two minds. And that is the definition, unfortunately, of hypocrisy. But God doesn't distinguish our lives into the sacred and the secular. That's something we do in our heads. And that thinking has just become so common in our society, in our culture, and in the church as well. We profess one thing and we act a different way. We say we believe X, but we act Y. We do this all the time and it's just, it's, it's infiltrated into the church even. And throughout this whole discussion, I have tried to stress the point that for Christians, there can be no separation between the sacred and the secular. Whatever you're doing at your work is the true you. Yeah. However you're acting at your home is the true you. Yeah. However you're acting on 167, oh Lord, forgive me, is the true me. Yeah. I got to work on some stuff. Yeah. I, I am not satisfied with how I'm acting in places outside of this church. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I am not satisfied with how I am acting outside of this place. Yeah. I need to work on some things. I need to become better because I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper. The worship of God is to take place in everything that we do. It's to govern how we work. It's to govern what kind of a neighbor we are. It's our community involvement. If our kids play baseball, you should not be the parent screaming nasty things at the umpire. It's in how you raise kids. It's in how wisely you spend your money. It's in, it's in how you eat. Yeah. I can't fill my body with cholesterol. Amen. I, 
But it, this body is a temple. It, it, it is in everything that we do. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31 states it very clearly. I think I've got that one. Do we have, did I give you that one? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of the Lord. I wish, I wish I could exegize on that scripture and translate it differently and make it mean something different. I wish that I could let us all off the hook. But that scripture's clear. That scripture is clear. My life is supposed to be for the glory of God. If you're going to live with the worship of God as your goal, then we also must be careful about what influences us. It's important, super important. Romans 12 and 2 tells us, it's a scripture probably most of us in this room can quote. We know this scripture. And be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Every society, even small substance, every society seeks to pressure those within it into its own mold so that everyone is alike sharing the same values and seeking the same goals. American culture does it. Russian culture does it. English culture does it, French culture, it's just a cultural thing. This whole, that's how societies survive, is because they can replicate themselves. If they can create everybody in their image, then a society will replicate. The idea of American rugged individualism, oh, that's foolishness. It's, a, it's more myth than reality, isn't it? Because most of us don't want to stand out in a crowd. We think we do. We want to be a maverick, but we really don't. We don't want to stand out in a crowd. It's teenagers. When they rebel, what do they do? They try to look just like their friends. There's no individualism there. They're just looking. They don't want to look like their parents, but they do want to look like their friends. They're not being themselves. So societal pressure can be seen in like that herd mentality. Politics has it. You know, you get the most people to join your side, and, and, and all of a sudden marketing becomes the name of the game. Not truth, not, not facts. It's marketing. You win by getting the most people to join your side. And Christians must understand that the world's standards are not our standards. The world's values are not to be our values. Our goals in life may differ greatly from even, even our family members. Our goals in life are going to differ from our neighbors, from the people we work with. They are going to be different. John put it very clearly in 1 John 2, 15 and 17. What a wonderful scripture. What a powerful verse, a passage of scripture. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I, again, I wish I could translate that differently for you. But that scripture is very clear. Yeah. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Yeah. I, I wish we could translate it different. I somehow wish we, oh, let's make it softer and gentler. But you can't. That's the word of God. The pressure in society is to be like everybody else, and it's external and it's internal. And what the world offers, and, 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 and it does, I'm not going to deny it, what the world offers is very attractive to our sin nature. The world offers things that look awesome to our sin nature. And therefore, it's attractive to our old man and our habits, all those things that we used to do, our flesh and our old habits. Sin does have its pleasure. 
The Bible tells us that, but it's only for a season, and after that comes judgment. Both the external and the internal pressure to be like a sinful society will always be greater than your ability to live for God unless you consciously set your goal in life to live for Jesus Christ and worship Him only. That pressure from the outside those doors will always be greater than your ability to live for Jesus Christ unless you set your eyes like a flint. The truth of the matter is you will probably conform to the world. You will conform to a sinful society if you don't set your goals on Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's that simple. You must set your goals on him. Romans 8 and 29 makes it very clear that God saves people from their sins so that we will then be conformed to Christ. He doesn't save us so that we can keep doing the exact same thing I was doing the day before I was saved. That's not what Jesus Christ saved us. He saved us so that we will begin to be perfected in the image of Jesus Christ. Not perfect. Nobody in here is. But we will begin to be perfected. He's going to start doing the work. And Ephesians 1 and 12 adds this. So that we will be a people for his praise and his glory. You are to worship God in spirit and in truth in every aspect of your life. So what is it that you live for? What do you live for? If our citizenship is indeed in heaven, and I preached a sermon on this not too long ago, Philippians uh, 3 and 20, then we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. You, me, we are, I know, I know exactly how to drive back to my house. I know the roads. I, I I can take you back to my mom, Papa Maxwell's old house on 249 Briggs Road. I know the route, but I am a stranger and a pilgrim in Louisiana. I am a stranger and a pilgrim in Grant Parish. I am a stranger and a pilgrim in Alexandria. That's not my home. That's not where I want to end up. And for those of us who are strangers and pilgrims and realize it, what interest can the things of this world even have for us? whether it be money or fame or power or pleasure, if any of these things are things that you seek, then do not be surprised if heaven holds little interest for you. I'm sorry to put it like that, but if you think of power and fame and money and pleasure, heaven is going to be way down here on your, on your priority. It just is. Jesus said it so, so simply in Matthew 6 and 24, you cannot love God and mammon. Mammon is the world's money, the pursuit of the world's things, the world's riches, not even necessarily just money, but the world's riches. If you love the world and the things that are in it, then the love of God is not in you. I have trouble. (laughs) I have trouble with that. It's sometimes hard for me to understand that scripture. It's hard. It's not hard for me to understand it. Let me take that back. I understand it. It's hard for me to believe it. I do understand it, but it's hard to believe it because if we are not the kind of people who then see, have the love of God more than the love of all these things, then we will never be true worshipers of God. So the first thing we've got to do is we have to set our goal plainly. My goal is to live for Jesus Christ. My goal is to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. My goal is to be a seeker of his kingdom. That's my goal. So that's your first thing. 
Next, set your priorities. Because to reach any goal, you have to have priorities along the way to get there. You, don't, you can't just set your goal and then do nothing, right? Can't do that. I, I can have a goal to have a six-pack abs. That's my goal. But I have clearly done nothing over the past 47 years to get me there. My priorities are pizza and Star Wars on a Friday night. That's not going to get me to a six-pack of abs. <laughs> the same is true in worship. Because the goal of being a worshiper of God must be primary. And all my other goals, all the other things, success at work, raising my children in the fear and the love of God, all of those other things, as good as they are, have to come second. They cannot be in front of, I want to live for God. They've got to be second. So the worship of God must be primary. Everything else falls beneath it. Nothing can be in front of my goal. Nothing can ever be in front of my goal. So what are God's priorities? Let's, let's think about it this way. What are God's priorities? Jesus pointed it out very clearly in Matthew 22, 35 through 40. And in that passage, the, the Pharisees were kind of trying to make, they were the experts in the law. You know, they, were, they knew every little intricacy and detail. So they came to test Jesus. And they said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answered, and we all know the answer. It's very famous. He said, you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the first commandment. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And that is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. It's not the same, but it's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments rest the whole of the law and the prophets. Everything that's in the whole Old Testament, all that stuff in Leviticus, all that stuff in Deuteronomy, all those little codes, every little line of Scripture that gave all those rules, everything was to get us to love God first and love our neighbor as ourself. But the Old Testament got so locked in on following the law and not the heart of the law. And so Jesus came to remind us what the heart of the law was. Love God, love people. The top priority is to love God with all that you are. That's the first one Jesus said. And it's not just some warm, fuzzy, hug somebody, love you. It's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's agape love. It's agape love. And the word here for agape, it, it's defined as the love of committed choice that sacrifices itself for the good of one we love. I'm not talking about that kind of love for the world. I'm talking about that kind of love for God. That kind of love for God. Let me repeat that. And let me, this is the kind of love I'm supposed to have for God. The love of committed choice, committed choice, that's two very charged words, that sacrifices itself for the good of the one we love. Our first priority is to seek out after the best interests of God, and that's his glory and his honor with all of our being. God is to be first in our minds and in our hearts. Our souls are too long for him while striving to bring him glory and honor. How do you do that? How do we do that? We obey his commands. Jesus said in John 14 and 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yikes. Because <laughs> I broke a few. I got angry this week. I did. I got angry this week. So if I love him, I will keep my, his commandments. He said, be angry, but sin not. I don't know if I crossed the line or not. <laughs> I got pretty angry. 
He stressed it again by restating in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. The top priority of a Christian is to be obedient to God because by this we demonstrate that we love and trust Him supremely, above everything. And the second priority is loving our neighbor with the same degree of thoughtfulness that we show for our own selves. Paul's command in Philippians 2, 3, and 4 kind of explains what it means. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not look merely for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We are to apply ourselves in loving others, not just say it. We're to apply ourselves, and, and, and it's easy to just say it. I love people like I love myself, but there is still a practical matter of working out these two great commandments in our personal life and the details, the messy details of our daily life. Here's a question for you to think about for a second. Does loving God mean that you're supposed to be at church every day, forsaking work, forsaking family? Because going to church is good, right? Does it mean that we should, when we get to work, I don't even do my job because I'm witnessing? Oh, just walking around the whole office telling everybody about Jesus. Is that what it means? Does loving my neighbor include giving up all of my family's food so that my neighbors have food? These are silly questions, I understand. But we're talking about how to balance these questions and and keep them in a proper priority. I, I know I have trouble with sometimes because I'll sit in court all day long. I've been sitting there all day long looking at all kinds of hurting people because there's a lot of hurting people that go to court. And not once did I think about, man, what could I do to love those people? Or how could I be worshiping in this situation? But all of these questions that I just asked you, and even my concern about work, all of these questions are answered as we grow in Christ. We we get wisdom. No, you're not supposed to give all your food away so your family is hungry. But you are supposed to give to the poor. No, you're not supposed to spend all your time at work telling everybody about Jesus. You're going to get fired then you'll have no food to give to your family or the poor. Does that make sense? But as we grow in wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ, we'll understand the distinction. He will give us wisdom. This is some practical things that we can do. Practical things that we can do to even develop that sensitivity. Keep the Lord as your first priority. God saved you from your sins so that you might worship him. I say again, true worship is in spirit and in truth in every part of your life. Don't make going to church a sacred thing and work a secular thing. Colossians uh, 3, 23 and 24 says it so clearly. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord. Don't do it for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. We read the scripture last week. It is the Lord you serve. That's the Lord we serve. Both work and meeting in church are to be sacred activities because all of it is done to the Lord and for His glory. You didn't think work was sacred. You didn't. And, and I bet you work with some people who have, are very profane and not sacred. But everything we are to do is to be for His glory and His honor and for His kingdom. And that can't be true if we neglect the worship of him and the fellowship with his people. 
And I'm going to talk more about this in the point, I mean, in a moment. But for now, understand that if we neglect his word and, and prayer, then it's impossible to keep all those other things in our life. So at, at no point are we to neglect prayer and his word. You cannot know God or what he wants to do in your life apart from the Bible. You cannot serve him in the power of the spirit without prayer. We need the prayer and the word. I'm trying to be very direct here. Please understand me. I'm trying to be very direct here because if you're like me, you love to find wiggle room. I'm a lawyer. I'm looking for an out. Give me an out. Give me one word I can interpret differently. And then I can just weasel right out. Give me just one word. Give me some fine print, Chris. Give me the fine print. The easier, softer way, Tyler. That's one we use a lot in our, in our, in our line of business. That's what I want, but it doesn't exist. There is no easier, softer way. It does not exist. The second priority of relationship God has placed upon man is the family. This is a place where it can all begin. We can practice here the husband-wife relationship and then the parent-child relationship, then our extended families. We can practice on these people. We are to love the Lord more than our spouse. That is true. But there is no other human relationship that should be deeper than our spouse. A godly marriage is where each... This is awesome. This is extra because this could be in a marriage seminar. A godly marriage is where each spouse is used by God in the life of the other to conform both into the image of Christ. That's what a godly marriage is. That's, I, that's deep. That's really deep. Sometimes this is not the case because there's, there's happily married people who don't go to church. <laughs> that's true. And they don't follow the Lord's priorities. But there are so many other things, including we can get involved in things that are actually good. Our kids' baseball, our kids' academics. We can get involved in church. We can get involved in a lot of things, and they're not bad things. But they're putting a priority that's in front of me serving Jesus Christ. And we can do it with our spouse. We can do it with our kids. All of those things. But the priority here when we do it with our, our spouse and our children is all of us are serving Jesus Christ. We're pulling each other together and we're raising our kids in the fear and the, the knowledge and the wisdom of God. That's what we're trying to do. No, none of us are going to take all this stuff to heaven. All the academic things I could accomplish for my family, all the, things I, the, the awards I could get my kids to, to, we won't take that to heaven with us. But my example and my teaching should be leading my children to walking with Christ. But nothing else, nothing else, not even being busy around this place will save my kids for me. Fathers are to raise their children according to the commandments of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6 is a great place to start. Our children are first and foremost our very first disciples. Our children are our first disciples. That's changed how I, I, I got to change with my kids. I'll be honest with you. I've got to change. If they are my first disciples, then I've got to disciple them. I've got to change. Number three, the next priority is the use of your spiritual gifts. When you were saved, God equipped you with certain things that he needs in his kingdom. God gave you something that he needs you to use in some capacity. There's a gift. There's a ministry that is to be used in. There is something. And your level of talent is nearly irrelevant. This is going to sound crazy to you. 
Because God uses the humble and he casts down the proud. Your talent level is not as important as your willingness to be used by God. How you feel about letting God use it is way more important than your talent. And how do you use your gifts for God? Well, we complicate this, I think. Oh, we sit back and, oh, I don't know if I want to do that ministry or that ministry. That one, they, they're there on Tuesday nights. CR does, ah, that's a family night for us. Um, oh, man, if I had to do that one, I'd have to get here early. I don't like getting here early. Okay, we complicate things, but here's how to start. If you are walking close to the Lord and you are striving to live in his holiness, then you are naturally going to feel a pull towards ministry. The closer you get to God, you're going to feel, I need to be used in some way. I need to give uh, and not just take. Simply trying to do what you would like to do and then seeing if God blesses it is a great place to just start. Find, find what you want to do. Tell Sister Donna, say, I'd like to sing. Try out. You may not be able to. I, I wouldn't be able to. I've, I've lo- I would love to sing in the choir. I just don't, know, don't have that ability. But there are other things we can do. Tell Brother Kevin. Say, I'd like to teach in Sunday school. We need Sunday school teachers. We need them. We need nursery workers. We have lots of ministries that are needed. Just, just jump out there. Don't be afraid or thinking that God can't use you. Don't be afraid. Welcome the suggestions. Welcome the challenges of other people. Look for what other people, people will give you good suggestions. They'll say, this is what you, you know, this is, hey, I've been thinking about you. God laid you on my heart. Come on over here and, and help me. And, and, and we're going to work together on all these things. We're going to practice. We're going to do some things. I lost my place. Hold on a second. I hit the wrong button. That's how, but that's how we start. Serve the Lord, but be sure he is the one you're serving. Yeah. Number four, the next priority is do good to all men. Galatians 6, 7 through 10 states, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in good doing. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Notice there is actually a hierarchy in doing good. We are to do good to all. But there is a special commandment about doing good to people who are of the house of faith. We are to look after each other. We are our brother's keepers. We are to watch out. We're to be extra sensitive and giving to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not going to be telling you anything that you don't already know when I say that tragically most of us have our priorities reversed. We place our own pleasure first, don't we? Oh, gosh. We put, we put our own pleasure first and God is at the end of the list. But how can God be truly worshipped if he is the last priority on my list? How can I be in daily worship of him if my priorities don't match his? There is hope. And this is, number, this is our next one. Because a spiritual diet can change the way we do things now. We can get our priorities in order and then we can set our spiritual diet. There's a common saying, you are what you eat. I should be a walking pizza. I love pizza. There's not really any bad pizza ever. And this adage is true in the spirit world too, isn't it? You're going to live according to what influences you. If you mentally and emotionally feed on the ungodly things of this world, then your priorities will be wrong and you'll also live in an ungodly manner. It just will, it will be that way. 
to live daily in the worship of God, you must have a proper spiritual diet. Psalms 1 tells us that the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly is blessed, and that he who delights in the Lord and meditates in his word will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Those of us who profess to be Christians simply, if we spent as much time in Bible study, prayer, and serving the Lord as we do in TV, games, fun stuff, there would be revival in this land. There would be revival in our land. Our churches wouldn't be hurting for workers. Non-Christians would be evangelized. Missionaries would be on the field. They wouldn't have to be walking around doing PIMs. They wouldn't have to come back to deputize. That, that would not have to happen if we were, if all of us were truly living for Jesus Christ the way we're supposed to be. Our country would be changed. It would it'd be amazing what would happen. So what are we letting influence our lives? Our diet matters. What we let in matters. Change your spiritual diet. If you think there's stuff coming in that's not supposed to change your diet, and I guarantee your spiritual health will change. I promise you. And as your spiritual health improves, so will your worship. Next is set your mind. We're almost through. To change your spiritual diet will, change, will require a mindset change. We seek pleasure so naturally, but a mind change will help us seek the spiritual. Your transformation into someone who worships God in daily life is dependent upon the renewing of your mind. That's why hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on the word of the Lord is so important. In order for me to think and pray and live properly, I have to have a knowledge of the truth and my mind must be focused on it. It must be. The Christian faith, this is something I confused for a long time, but the Christian faith is not a single moment of decision, but it's a walk that trusts God every day. The Christian quest is to bring every thought into captivity all day long, every day, and it lasts for our whole lives. Doing that will result in a proper daily worship of God. Maybe this sounds extreme, but so be it. Paul thought like this. Paul thought, in fact, he took it so far, he said he was not afraid to be called a fool for Christ's sake. He said that. He was not afraid. Remember that the goal of our lives should be to be true worshipers of God. And who cares what everybody else thinks? If they think I'm a fool, who cares? I'm following Him. It's His approval I seek. What other people think should be of little or no concern. Because my mind is set on what's above. And the last thing is to live in Christ. Live free in Christ. The last, this is the last practical suggestion I have for you this morning. God did not save anyone from their sins so that they could be a hermit. God didn't save us to be hermits. He saved us so that we would be part of the body. We're all supposed to be part of the body. He saved you for that reason. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 are all clear that each Christian needs other Christians around them in order to become what God has intended them to be. We're all doing it this morning. We are following those commandments. We are here this morning. We're doing what we're supposed to. Because each believer has different gifts that are to be used in conjunction with each other to reach a lost and dying world. The whole body together will be built up in the love of Jesus Christ and can stand. It is within the church that all those one another commands, love one another, be good to one another. You can't do those without a church. You need a church to follow those commands. If you remove yourself from the body, then there's two, at least two negative consequences. First, 
the body is handicapped because your gifts and your ministry are removed from the church. So now all of a sudden the body is, is missing something. Second, you will shrivel up spiritually just as surely as your arm would if you cut it off. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14 makes it plain that Christians need each other. Each of us needs to be encouraged when we're faint-hearted. We need to be helped when we're weak. We need to be warned when we're tempted. We need to be admonished when we fall into sin. That can't happen if I separate myself from the body. We need to be around those who are spiritual and will help us bear our burdens when we have fallen so that we can be restored. Live in Christ. Live free in Christ. I just want to sum up everything again real fast for you. The, the five things that we've talked about this morning, I just want to sum up real fast. I pray that the goal of your life is the worship of God. I pray that the goal of your life is the worship of God. That you will make his priorities your priorities. I'm going to worship him and my priorities are going to be set up in such a way that that goal is number one. I'll set everything else underneath it. Next, that you will develop a proper spiritual diet. I will put things in me that are giving glory to him. I will put things in me that are, are pushing out the world. And I will stop putting that trash that the world wants to feed us in me. Then I will set my mind on him. I cannot be shaken. I cannot be moved. My mind is fixed like a flint on Jesus Christ. And then actively live in the body of Christ. Not just partially, actively live in the body of Christ. If we do, do those things, worship will flow out of our lives all day long. You won't be able to stop. You won't have to pick a time of the day. This is going to be my worship time because it's going to flow. 24 hours a day, it's going to flow. You won't have to pencil it in. I'll, I'll get to you after this meeting. You won't have to do all that stuff. You won't have to wait until Sunday morning. You won't have to wait until Wednesday night. It will flow out of your innermost being like rivers of living water. When we get our minds fixed, our priorities straight, our goals straight, when we're eating the right things, when we're living in the body, it will change you. We will become worshipers. We will become worshipers. I promise you guys, I've said it several times, but it's changed me. I have been changed in four weeks. It has, it has radically changed the way I think about my life and being a worshiper. I thought I was a worshiper. When the songs are good, I raise my hands. Even if they're not good, I raise my hands. I raise my hands. I, I, I wave my arms. I love Jesus. I love Jesus Christ. But I found myself so many times walking out those back doors or getting in, those, in the car, and I left church here. I was still a Christian. I wasn't, I'm not back at the bars drinking. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'd get aggravated before I got to Marlar Ford. I just left church. I'm supposed to be a worshiper. 
Chris, what are you doing? Yeah. My goals weren't right. My priorities weren't right. I got to get them straight. Yeah. Take, these, take this list, take this list and, and take it home with you and, and, and use it in your prayer time this week. God, I, I want to be this. I want to be a worshiper. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want everyone around me to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Let it impact your life. Let it change you. You can be a worshiper. And remember what happens when all of us individually become worshipers? This congregation becomes a congregation of worshipers. That back door won't be big enough to hold all the people that want to get in here. Worship all week long. Worship the rest of your life. Live for Jesus Christ. Lift Him up. Him only shall we serve.